Wine you. Hi everyone. Welcome back to Wine You Wish Upon a Star, your favorite Disney fancast. I'm your host, Joe Payo. I'm your other host, Verena Payo. And for any of our new listeners, because we now have promotional materials, if you don't know what we do, we watch Disney animated films in chronological order. Theatrical release order. And we uh, drink a bottle of wine. And we talk about Disney movies. So. Tonight, we bring you Cinderella. Cinderella from 1950. With it. We have paired. True myth. And the reason why is Cinderella is a story that has very similar stories within almost every single culture around the world. Basically, every culture has a Cinderella. Yeah. But anyway, the version that people are most familiar with is the Disney animated feature version. The wine. I enjoyed it. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon. It's from the Paso Robles. The reason why I picked it was because, well, like we said, there's the myth theme. The other reason why I also picked this wine was there's a quote on the back from Ralph Waldo Emerson that says, Adopt the pace of nature. Her secret is patience. If you can really kind of distill what it is that makes Cinderella stand out from the other Disney princesses is her patience. Well, she's also with nature. I mean, it's all birds and mice and horses. I didn't even put that together, the whole nature thing. Well, basically, like, in all of Disney, if you can talk to animals and you have animal friends, then you're a good person. So, um, should we just start at the beginning of the movie? It all starts with the book. It starts with the book. We all know that the greatest Disney movies start with a live-action book opening up usually over felt or something. While they're singing. Where it says, like, once upon a time, and it shows little pictures, gives a little backstory. They say, like, here's Cinderella. Her father loves her, and I guess her mother died, and he wants her to have a mother figure, so he marries this woman that's of good upbringing, and she's got two daughters. Also, something to note, this is the first time we've seen in any of these movies that the narrator is a woman. Oh, that's true. I think it's the same actress who is the fairy godmother. It's probable. And so the story starts as all Cinderella stories do. The, her father marries the stepmother. Everything's fine till he dies. And then the stepmother just turns evil. And it straight up says that Cinderella was abused and then eventually turned into a servant. We, we hear about all of this. Then the narrator says, like, but she never lost her, like, grateful spirit, her hopefulness, her kindness. And the way that they show this is it shows a morning, just like any morning when she would normally wake up. But you see these two birds, they fly into her window while she's asleep, and they're, like, starting to wake her up. They're, like, raising up her braid so they can tweet in her hair, like, wake up, wake up. They're, like, pointing at the sky like, it's a beautiful day. And she, like, tries to turn over and put a pillow over her face, and she's like, leave me alone. I'm sleepy. I'm dreaming. She's like, how dare you draw me away from this beautiful dream I'm having? And normally I don't like birds, but these birds are wearing cute little clothes. Yes. Like cute little like handkerchiefs on their heads and like little like aprons. So the birds wake her up. She gets stressed. The mice wake her up when she does. She's singing A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes because she's talking about how she's like, oh, you guys woke me up from this wonderful dream I was having and life is so terrible. So I need my dreams. (laughs) And she has this, like, beautiful song. You know, everybody knows that a dream is a wish that your heart makes. There you go. And did not sing it. Did not. So she starts singing the song, A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes, which is all about just, like, you know, believing in your dreams and... The church bell starts ringing, and she her demeanor just changes on a dime, where she just, like, 
how that darn clock. Yeah, she yells at the (laughs) clock just like everyone else when they wake up. And she's like, even the clock orders me around. Oh, I hate that clock. And then immediately goes into the rest of the song. And a dream. I love my dreams. (laughs) And she makes her bed. And the birds help her shower. They pour a sponge over her head full of cold water. And she's like, la, 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 la. (laughs) Her voice changes. It sounds a little like she's underwater. It's very cute. And she's dressed. The mice are telling her that there's the other mouse. And so she goes downstairs to find it. And it actually looks more like a, like a lobster trap kind of thing. <laughs> it's this big open mouse trap. Uh, okay. Not like a tiny, like, you know, the one that you see that's spring-loaded. It's like a giant cage. This is where we meet Gus. He doesn't have a name. He's just this fat, naked mouse <laughs> just cowering in the corner of the cage. And she and the other mice are trying to convince it, like, please, come out. And the other mice, like, he's like, I got this. And he goes in, and he, in his little fast voice, he's saying, like, no, 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 she's not like the other people. She's really nice. And then they show this, like, look from his point of view outside the cage of her giant face smiling. <laughs> Which, yes, I would have been, I would have been frightened, too. So then we are introduced to Lucifer. because Literally the devil. <laughs> Cinderella's first chore before she does anything, before she starts making breakfast, before she feeds the chickens, is to feed she the has devil. to feed the devil cat named Lucifer. He's a little tiny diva. And the first time you're introduced to Lucifer, it's like with this, she opens a crack in the door and it's just like, and it like turns around. She's like, come here, kitty. Come here, kitty. And well, it's just like, no. It sleeps with the evil stepmother. Yes. And so she's like, come on, let's go, Lucifer. And Lucifer's a boy. And so he like flounces out of the room and he's like starts clawing at the floor and literally leaves marks in the floor and she's like well it's not my idea to feed you first you should talk to her she walks lucifer down the stairs when you see sort of her like quarters where she's i guess it's kind of the kitchen you see bruno bruno is the dog and he is on his side sleeping dreaming and running in his sleep and she wakes him up saying like oh, you're having those dreams again when you're chasing Lucifer. (laughs) And after all this whole thing where she was singing this nice song about you have to follow your dreams and everything like that, she's like, so you were having a dream that you were chasing Lucifer? Well, give up on your dreams. You have to stop it. You have to deny your dreams, and you have to get along with the people that you hate. (laughs) But she also says, you need to try to get along here just like me. So it's clear that she and Bruno are of the same mind. So she puts Bruno outside to eat his meal. She pours Lucifer his breakfast milk. And before he even eats, he starts tormenting Bruno and like swipes him across the nose and then lays down and pretends like Bruno's going to attack him. And so Cinderella takes Bruno outside to give him his breakfast. And she's like, you know, we have to try to get along as much as we don't like them. And Lucifer's like, hey, hey, hey. And then he goes like, when she says we don't like them. And then she slips on her clogs and walks outside and says, breakfast time. Not to anybody really in particular, but more towards the chickens. Because she starts going around and spreading chicken feed. At this time, all of her mouse friends who have been hanging out with her, are just like, oh, we got to sneak us some breakfast. So she's not bringing them breakfast. They have to just kind of, like, steal it from the chickens, apparently. She makes them clothes, but she doesn't give them food. Yeah. When I was a kid, for some reason, because of, like, the texture and the color of the chicken feed, I thought there were tiny crumbs of cheese. I did for, like, at least... 
10 minutes, and then I realized it was corn. Yeah, it's corn, because she's feeding the chickens. Because I was like, why are the chickens eating <laughs> cheese? But when I was a kid, you know, I'd always see these things like like Tom and Jerry cartoons, where, like, the, mal- the mice are obsessed with eating cheese. And these almost look like ti- teeny, tiny wedges of cheese. Especially because they're, like, they're orange, and they look delicious, and mice are just lusting after them. But for some reason, I don't know, I just made that connection when I was a kid. But now... I'm just like, oh, yeah, obviously they're not feeding tiny bits of cheese to the chickens. So the mice are trying to figure out how to get outside because Lucifer is still standing in the doorway or sitting in the doorway between standing between them and the outside. So they all do this thing where they wrap their tails, all the mice wrap their tails around each other. And they pick one tip of the tail and whoever's tail it is has to be the bait to bait Lucifer away from the door. And Jack is all just like, oh, oh, we've got this whole thing down. And for a moment, you think that it's going to be Gus, the new guy who's who gets picked. But Jack ends up picking himself. And so everyone like starts taking their hats off. Like You can they, tell like the mice that have tried to do this in the past were not very successful. <laughs> they bid him farewell. <laughs> so he has to distract them. You can't really hear exactly what he's saying, but he's like pantomiming a lot, just like... Bring, you know, distract the cat, bring it over to the corner so the other mice can run by and get the breakfast. So Jack runs out. He sneaks under or near Lucifer and knocks his elbow out from underneath him and puts Lucifer's face in his own milk, which makes him very angry. He chases him over back toward the corner where he, like, pantomimed. And so all the mice go running outside and they start picking up breakfast. And that's where Gus learns how breakfast works because he keeps trying to grab breakfast and the chickens keep taking it from him. And he realizes, like, he needs to grab, like, one or two and then get out of the way. I realized that it is kind of ingenious the way that they use Gus in this because he's the newcomer. And so within the kingdom of the animals, they're kind of explaining throughout the whole movie, like, this is the way that you act and this is the way that you survive and this is the way you do this. A lot of stories, a lot of great stories uh, usually have an outsider character that is the audience point of view so that as the other characters explain to them this is how things work here, it doesn't feel out of place so it is kind of nice that Gus is our view into this world. Well, and we learned that also because she hands Gus some more corn after the um, chickens have eaten all the other corn. And he tries to grab literally every piece. Way more than he can hold. And so as he's running through, you know, past Lucifer, which Jack is still distracting, he keeps dropping it. So he has to keep stopping, picking it all back up. He can't hold it all. He keeps dropping it. And that's when Lucifer realizes that Gus is still there dropping all the stuff. And so no matter what Jack does, Lucifer's like, this mouse is my target. He's like tugging on his whiskers. He even pulls a whisker off and Lucifer does not care. So he goes right towards Gus. And it's not until Jack knocks a broom over on top of Lucifer, which gives Gus enough time to crawl up a table that Luc- he's kind of distracted. Lucifer's kind of distracted, but he still sees Gus crawl up on the table. So at that point, he traps him under an upside-down table. Uh, so, like upside-down teacup. Tea yeah. It becomes this whole shell game thing where Lucifer's trying to look under them, but then Cinderella, like, she starts getting the bells from her her stepsisters and her stepmother, and so she starts, like, moving things around. So it's like this, like, shell game where Lucifer is, like, anytime she looks away, Lucifer's trying to find where Gus is. By the way, this is, like, happening, and this... I know we're spending a lot of time on this, but the movie spends a lot of time on this, more so than I remembered. Like, I always thought, like, 
you know, there's there's the animals and they're on the side, but the humans, they're the central story. But the first half of the movie is mostly these animals non-verbally interacting with each other. There's a lot of time spent on this. Yeah, this movie is literally mostly animals. Like, the human part of it is, like, really quick and towards the end. And when you start getting to the human parts, it speeds along very fast. So fast that, like, I couldn't even keep up in my notes. So Gus gets caught under one of the teacups that ends up on one of the tray, the breakfast trays for either the stepsisters or the stepmother. We don't know. There are three sets, and they keep switching positions from Lucifer's point of view as Cinderella takes them up the stairs. In goes one stepsister, and as Cinderella walks in, she's like, I need my ironing done, and I need it done in an hour. She's like, okay. And then she walks in the next stepsister's room, drops off another breakfast tray. I need my ironing done, and I need it done in an hour. Okay. And then she walks into the stepmother's. I need the laundry done, and I need it done quickly. Okay. And then she walks out, and that's when you hear screaming. And so Lucifer waits outside of the door of the one who screams and outruns Gus from under the door. Lucifer immediately steps on him and, like, catches him, not crushes him. Cinderella knows that she has him. So she's like, show me your paws, and he does. And she's like, lift up, and he does, but he's got one foot down. And then she's like, come on. And he lifts up the other foot and Gus is there. Gus tries to run away, runs into Lucifer's foot a couple times before he gets away. And then finally just runs into a hole. Did you notice when she was going up the stairs that she dropped her shoe? Yes. It was the first time of three that she drops a shoe. The girl can't walk up a staircase without dropping a shoe. More on that later. Although I think you all know where this is going. (laughs) So her stepmother calls her into her room after like, the one stepsister's like, there was a mouse mirror. And they're like, you're going to get it this time. So she goes into her stepmother's room and she gives, basically gives her extra chores. She's like, you know all the windows? You're going to clean them. You know all the tapestries and the rugs? You're going to clean them. You know all the chimneys? Those are going to be clean too. You know all the laundry and the sewing? That's going to get done too. Her stepmother has the creepiest deepest green eyes that I've ever seen in a cartoon, probably in real life too. And for some reason, whenever, when the way that they had edited the scene, whenever she's about to, it cuts back to her and she's saying something else, her eyes are looking completely wide and open and scary. And then she like looks away. It's very, very offsetting. I really wish that people could see this right now because you just mimed that entire thing. You're like, and her eyes were wide, and then she looks away. And he did that. He just wide and looks away. Also for our listeners, Brenna is imitating me right now yeah, and opening it's her eyes wide. Funny, because it's and then if the listeners of the listeners were doing podcastception. Did the evil stepmother seem familiar to you at all? Why? I think it's time for a fun fact. <gasps> so early on. Fun facts with, with Joe Pale. For this fun fact, I need to give you a little bit of background. The way that they had saved a little bit of cost on animation was that they did rotoscoping, which I've talked about before, which is when they would film actors or actresses and then animate over them, like draw, like just trace their lines. That's the reason why in this movie the animation is so smooth and looks very realistic, because they had frames of live-action film to trace over. 
a lot of times at this early stage, Disney would reuse actors or actresses and then just keep using them over and over again. It's sort of like nowadays how they do a lot of motion capture stuff and they use Andy Serkis a lot. So back then in the 1950s, 1940s and 1950s, Disney had a lot of actors that they would go to to do motion capture, basically just as reference for their animators. So Lady Tremaine was played by this actress named Eleanor Audley. She did the physical reference for the animation, and she also did the voice. She also did the physical motions and the voice for Maleficent in Sleeping Ah, Beauty. Ah, okay. So that's why she's very familiar. Very cool. Knowing that and watching this movie, I could definitely see that. She definitely gives an air of being the creepy lady who just is spiteful in just her sharp movements and her face and her slow movements and also in her voice. Very cool. Back to the movie. Uh, At this point, we leave Cinderella getting yelled at by her stepmother and we cut to the castle where the first shot of the castle is a crown flying through a glass window because the king is throwing a fit Because his prince, his only son, there's no mention of a mother, no mention of a queen, nothing. His only son is not finding somebody to marry. And all the king wants is grandchildren. Yes, he is not looking for an heir or somebody to carry on his legacy or someone to look after his kingdom. His whole drive is just having grandchildren. And all we see is him dreaming about playing with these grandchildren that he's like come up with in his head. And all he wants is grandchildren. And so he comes up with this plan. He makes his like assistant, I guess, or like second in command. He's the Grand Duke. Okay. So his Grand Duke, he's like, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. The prince gets home tonight. We're going to throw a ball. The Grand Duke's like, in one night? And he's like, yes. He's got this massive palace. Apparently, it looks like in this scene, no servants except for this one guy. He also has all of these portraits that are massive, like the side of a building. And he's like, I've watched my son grow up. And you literally see like the portraits getting larger and larger as he passes by. And then the final one is this 30-foot high portrait of... The prince on a horse. <laughs> I've never, I'd never noticed that before. Well, and he's like, why isn't he married? <laughs> so he, he decides that a ball's going to happen tonight. And the Grand Duke like freaks out and then like goes running off like, ah. And you cut back to uh, Cinderella's house. The Tremaine residence. Sure. And the stepsisters are practicing their singing and their flute playing. And they're just horrible. They're trying to do... The song. Sing Sweet Nightingale. But they're butchering it. Yeah. One of them is on the flute and she's really bad. One of them sings is really bad. A stepmother, Lady Tremaine, is on the piano and she's like trying to direct them. Like, here we go. The camera just kind of like, well, first you see Lucifer and even this cat cannot stand it. And he just leaves and he walks down the stairs. And as he goes, uh, Cinderella is singing the song while she's scrubbing the, the floors a little bit away. And as she's, like, dipping her, like, rag in the bucket, you see all these bubbles come out. And in the bubbles, there's, it's like you see this multiplication of her. And she's, like, singing, and then you hear, like, other voices of her harmonizing with her. Here, oh, time for another fact. Ah! Ah! Ooh, surprise fact! Ah! Whoa! Ah! I wasn't ready. <laughs> I spilled some wine. Continue. Around this time, Multitrack was a brand new 
techno- piece of technology. So a lot of times whenever they would record things in the other Disney movies, when you hear the soundtracks, that was pretty much just one take. But uh, the voice of Cinderella, her name was Eileen Woods. She suggested while she was doing the recording, what if we did a multi-track thing where I'm harmonizing with myself? And she was a big band singer, so she knew about like tight harmonies. And so it was her suggestion that led to the recording of this song where there's just, it, it's really beautiful. And when I was a kid, I thought this part was so boring and just rolled my eyes like, ugh, ugh it's just a lady just singing to herself. But now I'm, I'm thrown by it. It was really, it was really sweet. It was really beautiful and really short too. Like just c- goes in, cuts out, and then it goes back to the story where Lucifer's being a, being a turd. Well, yeah, because then Lucifer steps in her like dustpan and basically messes up. She didn't up throw out the for some reason. Entire floor messes up. She just cleaned this entire foyer, and now she has to clean it again. And she goes to like smack Lucifer with a broom, which everybody's like, "Yeah, smack him!" And then there's a knock on the door, and here's where the story starts. Uh, the <laughs> one of the king's men is dropping off a invitation to the ball that's happening that night for all eligible women in the kingdom and the thing is it's a decree so it's required required that all eligible women show up to the ball so i'm guessing eligible means unmarried because even the stepmother needs to go Cinderella is like, oh, I wonder if I should interrupt their singing lessons. And she's kind of laughing because it's so terrible. She's saying like, well, <laughs> maybe I just hang out a little bit and just delay this. It's a little bit of rebellion that she's showing. And the mice are just like, tee tee hee, tee But she eventually goes in. And the thing is, she interrupts the singing lesson. And the stepmother's like, what are you? What are you doing? And she's like, "Um, this came from the royal palace. And then the stepsisters like flip out. And they're like, oh, there's a ball. I have to get ready. And Cinderella's like, well, it says all eligible women. Can I go? And the stepsister's like, eh, no, me, me, me. And then the stepmother's like, well, ladies. You can go if you complete all your chores and you get a dress and you do this and this and this and this. And she says all this stuff. And then she's just like, oh, yes, I will. And she like runs out. And the sisters are saying, well, why Why did you say that? Why like, did you say that she could, could go? You? You're a traitor. You love her more. And then she says, I said, if. So basically, Cinderella goes up to her room and starts to try to make this dress. And she pulls up this dress that's not terrible, but it's old fashioned. That it's apparently her was dress. her mother's dress. Yes. And she pulls out a, a sewing pattern book. And she's like, okay, I can update this dress. But as she goes to try to do it, the stepsisters call her to do like mundane, stupid things, basically on purpose to keep her from fixing her own dress. So the mice see this happen, and this is when they they start singing that song about like, oh, all they do is call Cinderella. But during that song, they decide they're going to fix up her dress. So they take the pattern that she was going to use, and they start looking around the house for trash essentially for things that people are throwing out some trim like and these are things that the sisters you see them and they go oh these beads are so ugly why would i ever wear these and they throw them in the trash along with like a sash and all this stuff so they take them and they start adding them to this dress and update them and they look so pretty i realized when the mice were going to look for uh, the little pieces to add on to it, that this entire house has tons of secret passages for mice and for tiny animals. Like, it's not just, like, little holes. They actually have 
little pieces in the sconce work that has hinges that open up like doors. Little secret passages. Well, I think it, the idea is that the mice put those there. Did they put them there or did Cinderella put them there? Can they really put a hinge in? There, There is one part where you see an actual hinge. Okay, I don't know. But you cut to the castle and the carriages start arriving. Cut back to Cinderella's house. The carriage arrives in front. And Cinderella has been kept busy all day long and unable to work on her own dress. She announces the carriage arriving and the sisters and the stepmother are like, oh, are you not going to join us? And she's like, I don't have anything to wear. And they were like, oh, well, we'll see you later. And so she like sadly walks up the stairs. And as she gets up the stairs, all of the mice are like, oh, look it. And they open the wardrobe and Gus yells, happy birthday. Good old Gus. And the beautiful dress is there. Cinderella gets dressed. (laughs) She's in this beautiful gown. She comes. And so as they're about to get in the carriage, she goes running down the main staircase of the house. And she goes, no, I do have a dress. I do have a dress. I want to go with you. And she comes down the stairs. And the stepsisters are like flipping out because they're like, she looks so much better than us. Blah, blah, blah. What are we going to do? But then the stepmother kind of manipulates the situation. She just like says, like, everyone calm down. And then she just walks up. She notices the uh, the beads that she's wearing. She's like, oh, these beads are really nice. Aren't they beautiful, Gisela? And she was like the one who threw the beads And she's before. like, no, they're ugly. <gasps> Wait, she's like, those are my beads. Those are beads. my beads. And so without like saying anything, the or saying anything like direct, the stepmother just creates a war between them. Where really it's just the stepsisters tearing pieces of her clothes off of her, saying, and this is mine, and this is mine, and they this is mine. They rip her dress to shreds. She goes running away crying as they get into the carriage. She runs outside. All the animals are just super angry and crushed, and she just kneels down onto, like, a bench that's outside in the backyard or the courtyard area, and she's just sobbing. And she's, like, saying, like, she's losing all hope. Like, why do I keep this positive attitude? She's just crying. And all of a sudden, an older woman just appears under her crying arms. Who we've we've never met before. We have no idea who she is. This woman just starts, like, just rubbing her hair, just saying, there, there, dear, there, there. It's okay. And Cinderella just doesn't even notice. She's just like, I know, but it's tough. And uh, wait. And then she stands up. There's this woman. She's, it turns out she's crying in her lap. The mice all stand there dumbfounded, like their little mouse jaws open, and they're like, <gasps> Cinderella's like, I'm losing all hope. Nothing ever goes my way. And the fairy godmother goes, well, if you were losing all your hope, I wouldn't be here. Obviously, you haven't lost all your hope. Let's work on creating your situation a little better. And jumps into bippity-boppity-boo. Yeah, she's like, here, I got the thing that can help you. And she's just like, ha She brings out her hand like she has a wand. And she's like, oh, I, I don't have it here. She's like, where's my wand? She, she's like checking her sleeves. She's like patting herself down. I thought that was really funny. She's like, oh, where, where can it be? She's looking and she's like, ah, I remember. I put it away for safekeeping. And she just like pulls it out of thin air, just like, and just like drawing down from the sky. She creates the pumpkin carriage. She was then- a, Which was a massive pumpkin to begin with. Right? That was like as big as the pumpkin that we had. We had a 100-pound pumpkin. We had a 100-pound pumpkin last year. We couldn't even carry it up our own stairs. Yeah, we had to get some help. But so, it was mass- this massive pumpkin, and she's like, you need a carriage. She's well, she's doing like her the, the Bibbidi-Bobbidi-Boo song. And so she she's like, Bibbidi, 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 Boo! And it's a huge carriage. She looks at the horse, 
And she's just like, you know what a carriage needs? And he's like looking all smug, just yeah, like, he's yeah, like, I know what it needs. Yeah, I know what it means. And, and walks she's up like, to the it carriage. needs mice. And he's like, what, what? What? And the horse is like, what? So four of the mice that are sitting there, she starts, she continues with the song. Gus runs away. Gus runs away. She turns three of them into horses and she's like, I could have sworn there were four of them. So she finds him hiding underneath the carriage and she's like, all right, all right, I got you. As she's about to cast the spell on him, Lucifer shows up again with a bowl to catch him under, traps him, but then he turns into a horse. So Lucifer's like sitting, holding a bowl on top of a horse. The horse just whinnies at him and he runs away screaming. Well, no, uh, the fairy godmother kind of zaps him in the butt. Oh, kind of zaps him too, yeah. So you see this little piece of magic like hopping, following him away. Then came this part that... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Joe starts laughing so hard at this part. So after she has turned all of these mice into horses, and we've already established the horse is just like, what about me? The fairy godmother just says, well, you can't possibly go to a ball without a horse. And Cinderella just like looks at her and says, "Uh, another one? (laughs) And And Joe starts laughing so hard. I couldn't stop laughing because of the delivery of it. Like Cinderella in her mind is just like, we just did a horse thing. We, we need more horses, like I guess. <laughs> what the stepmother, or the uh, fairy godmother means, is that she turns the horse into, into the, the coachman, driver. Yeah. And then she turns Bruno, the dog, into the footman. And then she's like, okay, you're ready to go. Bye. And Cinderella's like, um, well, because she's still standing in this rag dress. And then the fairy godmother looks at her and goes, well, you can't go in that dress. And she goes, it, it, yeah. And then she gets the, like, beautiful blue dress with the glass slippers yes. and her hair is all up with the headband, everything. I have a couple fun facts for this. Ooh. Ooh. The fun fact fun is fact you with... bought me a beautiful blue dress and glass slippers? Yes. Your no. eyes say no. No, it was not. Oh. Okay, here we go. New fun fact. So this dress transformation scene, it was Walt Disney's favorite personal scene that his company had ever produced. The one shot of the dress transforming into the gown was his favorite. Here's another fun fact. In the scene, you see the two stages of the dress. You see it like, you know, when the stepsisters had ripped it apart, and then you see it when it becomes the beautiful gown. The dress that is ripped all apart was based on the paintings of Salvador Dali. Uh, Disney had a, a huge admiration for Salvador Dali, always tried to incorporate as much of like his work into his in, into his own work. Uh, in fact, we skipped over Fantasia, but there was a, a partially produced sequence that was based on Salvador Dali's art that was released actually as a short film called Destino. After the transformation, the final gown is dressed on the works of Christian Dior, who is still a dressmaking company to, to this day. Their fairy godmother tells Cinderella, this is all magical, everything is beautiful, but just like all magic, the spell is has a certain limitations, and this spell is broken at midnight. Cinderella is incredibly grateful. You see her, again, her positive attitude. She's like, midnight, that's more than enough time. Thank you so much for doing this. And the fairy godmother tells her, well, get out of here. It's getting late. <laughs> Go. And so she jumps in the carriage, Heads to the to the castle. Cut to the ballroom. Every woman is being announced to the prince, and he is just bored as can be. He's, he's visibly yawning as he stares yawning. his father in the face, like hand to mouth. He is yawning. 
And as, as Cinderella shows up, all of the guards turn to look at her. Like, they give her a side eye. Like, they're like, ooh. Like, you can tell, like, their eyes just kind of wander. You see them, like, go in succession, just, like, like glance, 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 glance down the line. She walks up, of course, right as the stepsisters are like... Both of them. I, I'm Drusilla, and I'm Anastasia. Anastasia. And they're like, uh, and they're tripping on each other's dresses, and they look like idiots. He, and just, he just plows between them, like, excuse me, and just like walks through them. Because he, like, he sees them her there, just wandering around. She's just looking at things. Because she's so amazed to be in such a beautiful area. For all we know, this is the first time she's been out of the house. <laughs> And he just walks straight up to her and immediately just beelines for her and ignores everyone else. And the king is ecstatic. He couldn't be happier. And the rest of the evening, the prince is with Cinderella just walking around the grounds. And they're waltzing. They're talking. They're just walking around. They start singing a song together called So This Is Love. Where you can see, you can hear her voice. Like you don't see them on screen singing it, but you can tell that it's like that's what's happening in their in their minds. Where it's a duet, where she's singing and he's singing along with her, and it's really beautiful. And they're going all throughout the castle grounds, just from place to place to place. I immediately thought of Frozen because there's the scene, the scene in Frozen where Anna and Hans are meeting each other, and by the end of it, they're engaged. Is definitely as an homage or spoof of this scene because they leave the party, go off on their own. They have these little adventures. They go for a bridge. They, they go by the pond. They just like travel by, by each other, just completely and utterly in love at first sight. This is where it comes from, from like a scene like this, where they're just lost in their own world. They're like waltzing in front of all the other people. And nobody seems to take notice that this ball is just one guy and one girl. Well, and the one thing that I, kind of did like about this was that in all of these early princess movies there's always the argument that can make it could be made that's like oh she falls in love with him so fast and that's all she wants is to be with a guy and you know but at least they spent all night talking yeah like it's not she, like she sleeping beauty was... which we'll get to where like they're together for like 15 seconds it's like no they spent all evening talking like all night talking and not not even and talking like, about like status or identity or anything like that just like they're just really into each other well and you know that she doesn't talk about status and identity because midnight strikes midnight strikes and she says i oh, have to I leave have to go i didn't even get to talk to the and prince she's tonight. like oh my gosh i didn't even get to talk to the prince tonight and he was like Uh, (laughs) and she goes running off so it's revealed to us that she doesn't even realize she's been talking to the prince the whole time which again backs up her character that she is not this person who is just trying to better her status no i ain't saying she a gold digger but she ain't messing with no broke bloke yes as the british would say (laughs) that's the glee version (laughs) This is a PG uh, podcast. <laughs> Pretty gangsta. Is that PG? No, that's... We we are not at all gangster. So gangster. Uh, Cutting cut. all of this. <clears throat> she runs down the stairs, 
and loses her second shoe of the film, which the prince does not even pick up. The duke finds it. Yeah, this whole time I was like, oh, the prince went chasing after her. No, apparently he sits there dumbfounded. (laughs) And I thought we had a good time. The second in command, the duke. The the, the grand duke. The grand duke, like, sees what's happening and is like, no, I can't let her go, and goes running after her and sends, like, the entire guard of the castle after her. If you want to talk about, like, the people who have, like, you know, the actual control of the story, the Grand Duke controls so much of the story because he's the one who is in love with the idea of the king having what he wants, which is to have the prince in love with someone. So it's like he is the person who is driving the whole story. So he's the one who finds it, who finds the, uh, the slipper. So he sends the entire castle guard after the princess, or excuse me, after Cinderella. But, of course, midnight ends, like the final strike of midnight happens. Her pumpkin, her carriage turns into a pumpkin. The horses turn into mice. mice. The driver turns into a horse. And basically, like, her dress turns into rags, and she's like a homeless person sitting on the side of the road with a whole bunch of animals. Just hiding so in the they trees. Run right she apologizes past her. to all the animals, saying, like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry. I, lost I lost track, track of time. Of time. <laughs> like, I was just having such a good time. They're like, we understand. We get it. <laughs> and that's the next morning. The Grand Duke is like, oh, no. And he's like, I have to go and tell the, the king. Blah, blah, blah. So he goes into the king's chambers, and the king is still sleeping. And you cut to his dreams. And it's him playing with grandkids. Yeah, they're like riding him like a horse. And then one of them just has a scepter, like a royal scepter. It starts pounding on his head. And that's like the knocking of the Grand Duke. Like that, duke, 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 duke. And so then he comes in. But it's so cute. Like all he wants is grandkids. Yeah. It's not like some like extra thing. It's like he just wants to play with grandkids. Also going back, like to to backtrack a little bit. uh, When the prince is looking at all of like the perspective... Uh, wives, the king and the art and the uh, grand duke are talking to each other, and the king says something just like, "What's the problem? Why can't he find one that would make a suitable mother?" And the archduke is just like, uh, 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 and he's like, "Wife, I mean wife, I mean wife, yes." So like that kind of goes back to the whole thing where he's looking for the grandkid, like he's not even looking for the person who's going to be the wife of his uh, of his son, but who's going to be the bearer of his grandchildren. Well, and then even when the stepsisters walk up, he's like, yeah, even I wouldn't want them. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's like, ooh, yeah, no, that, uh, even I wouldn't want them. The Grand Duke goes in, and the king is just like, please tell me the good news. And the duke is just like, she got... And he, and at he's first, shoving He's just, like shoving cigars in his face. Like, he's all, like, like, like the, kid, like the, the prince has already made somebody pregnant from he's the like, night before. Oh, he already uh, Take some more cigars. Oh, and he keeps gosh. lighting them with chandeliers. And so then the, 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 the duke finally says, she uh, got away. And then that's when, like, the... The king had a sword out so that he could knight the duke. But then he starts swinging it everywhere. And he starts chasing after the duke, saying, like, Traitor! Saboteur! And then he's just like, you're in league with the prince! He's, like, yelling all these things where he thinks that the duke has, like, undermined him in this whole operation. He thought the 
Duke was trying to help the prince not get married or something, but it turns into this elaborate bed jumping scene. Yeah, they're like jumping at each other and the king is like swiping the sword at him. And then finally, when he explains like, no, no, I have a slipper that she left behind. So we we have a clue to where to who she is. And then the king just says like, oh, wonderful. And he starts kissing him just like, oh, thank you. So the king says, like, okay, you're going to try every maiden's foot. And he actually makes a decree. So this time it's, like, law. He has to try the shoe on every single eligible maiden. So the duke starts going through the kingdom, and he's trying everybody. He's tired. He's been at this for clearly hours. And he shows up at the doorstep of the stepsisters and the stepmother. I think my watch buzzed. Okay. My watch is off. Start from the the queen went and stuck her head up her butt. So the queen goes and sticks her head up her butt. She's not a queen. So Lady Tremaine sticks her head up her butt. No, she didn't do that. So Lady Tremaine gets word that uh, the that the Grand Duke is going around doing all of this, and she just, she wakes up her daughters and says like, "Get up, get up, get up! Look your best. Get dressed. Put on your makeup because the Grand Duke is going around." He's trying to find the woman that the uh, that the prince fell in love with last night, and he and the prince himself does not know who she was. So you have to make yourselves pre- presentable. As she's like saying this, Cinderella is in the middle of her like mid morning chores. She's like bringing it, you know, bringing up their breakfast and everything like that. When she's already in a good mood because last good mood. night was yeah. so amazing for her, and even though she she's doesn't not know it was end the prince, up with the guy of her dreams, she's just happy she had the experience. Yeah. So she's kind of like dancing and kind of humming to herself. So she's bringing up breakfast as all of this chaos is happening. And then as she's saying this, the uh, when she says, like, the prince fell in love with somebody that he danced with last night and nobody knows who it is, but he's in love with her and he wants to make her his queen. And, and he she has just one like, shoe. And he has one shoe. And she just drops, like, the breakfast tray. Shatters all Just shatters it. As she knows, like oh, that was the prince that I was dancing with. And then she starts kind of gathering up like the toast the and tea and everything. Because the stepmother is like, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. So she's gathering everything up, but at the same time, it's all hitting her that like she that she just like successfully wooed the prince of the kingdom. And so once it finally hits the stepsisters that like there's a possibility they could become queen, they start like just being like, oh my gosh, clean all my clothes, do all of this. They're piling all of these like clothes on top of her. She's so lost in her own world. She looks stoned. Like, she's, like, blinking so slowly, just in her own world, now that she knows that, like, the she's got the heart in, of the prince. Well, the prince is in love with her. And, like, she can't even hear what they're saying. She's just like, and then they're just like, we have to have something good to wear, something good to wear. She's like, oh, yeah, something good to wear. She just drops everything and just wanders out, just like, I have to put on my best outfit. Yeah. So she's singing the uh, the song to herself, the, the This Is Love song. Meanwhile, the uh, stepmother, who thought she looked kind of familiar the night before. It all clicks. It clicks together where she's like, this is her. She's like, she starts, oh, no. So as Cinderella goes up her tower, the stepmother just kind of follows her. And it's got these like weird dramatic camera angles that almost look like a Hitchcock movie. It looks like Psycho when they're like exploring the Bates Motel. Psycho happened like eight years later or 10 years later even. Or a million years later. Or a million years. 
10 million years. <laughs> My takeaway from this is that I think Alfred Hitchcock took this as an inspiration. So she's going up the stairs and following well, her. Well, why don't we ask him? Because he's dead. Oh, man. So she's following her up the stairs. She's going up her stairs, and the, uh, the stepmother's following her. And then this looks like Hitchcock's vertigo as she's going up. Again, because, let's ask him. <sighs> it's very Hitchcockian because it's like this really light moment where she's like in, the, where Cinderella's in this trance. She wants to go upstairs and get dressed and look nice for the for the Duke, but the stepmother's following her. Finally, she follows her into her room and just locks her door from the outside. Like she grabs the key. Cinderella sees it from the mirror. She turns around like, no! She locks the, uh, the her door puts the key in her pocket and just like pats it. You always have to pat the key and whenever Cinderella you put it in your pocket. And Cinderella is devastated. And she's devastated because this was her one escape. And that is the time when the duke shows up at their house. The mice see this happen and they're just like we've got to figure this out. We got to we got to get that key. So Gus and Jack go down the stairs. Follow the evil stepmother. We see the first sister try on the shoes. She's like, oh, yes, it fits. It's fantastic. Thank you. And then he's like, oh, wonderful. And he holds up her foot and it's like only her toes are inside. And they're like, no. And she's like, no, no, no. Maybe my feet are just swollen from dancing. (laughs) And they're like, no. And then you see you cut to the mice and they're trying to grab the key out of the evil stepmother's pocket. While this is happening, the the Grand Duke, he, he walks in and he's just saying, like, he's reading the scroll. He's like, by royal decree, we have to do this. And, and he's like yawning the whole time. When I was younger, I just thought it was he was bored, like because he's been doing this. But because of what the stepmother had said, he's been out all night, like ever since the king said, like, well, go find her now. He's been doing this for hours and hours and hours and hours on end. I just never picked up on that before. They put him in a chair and he starts going to sleep while the other guy who's helping him is like trying to put the slippers on her sisters. Well, and all the evil stepsisters keep kicking the guy in the head because they're like, no, we don't fit. You're just stupid. Like slamming him against the piano. (laughs) Meanwhile, you keep cutting to Cinderella who's crying and you cut to the mice and Jack falls into the pocket of the evil stepmother and she like pats the pocket which like slams the key up against his head and Gus is outside the pocket then Gus uses like a teacup to basically reach Jack who's holding the key and they pull the key out of her pocket and then they have to get it up the stairs and so they have to go up all the stairs which is quite a thing for like two little mice they have to get it up the stairs they get it under the door and then they look up and they have to go up the tower and again, another Vertigo reference. Like the the stairway just gets really blurry. We should ask Alfred Hitchcock in person if he if he oh, understood he's dead. that. So oh. then the mice get it all the way up, and they're like literally about to put it under Cinderella's door, and freaking Lucifer shows up. Lucifer, ah. Oh. And so Lucifer is like giving them a hard time. They keep trying to evade him. Whatever. The mice go finally, to war with him, and they're like. They're, they're trying to, like, run at him with uh, with forks, and he's just, like, pounding the forks and making them flip Lit over. Candles. And the candles. He blows them out. And so then it's Cinderella who talks to the... Uh, birds. To the birds and says, like, I've got it. Go get Bruno. Get Bruno. Get Bruno. Which ties back into the whole thing of just, like, you have to make your dreams a reality. In this moment, she's saying, like, yeah, unleash the rage in Bruno. Make him chase Lucifer. So Bruno comes up, chases Lucifer away. And 
chases Lucifer out of a very high, like, seven-story window. Yeah. And, and you see falls. Lucifer fall. You, you don't see, see him fall for the six six floors, and then you don't see anything after that. You don't that. see anything <laughs> after that, but you don't see Lucifer again I mean, for I'm the sure entire story. Cats land on their feet, nah, right? No, Lucifer's that- dead. But but you I would know, like, like to think that Lucifer is dead. Nine lives, maybe eight more left. According or? to Disney, don't ever own a cat. Like I'm sorry, name me besides the Aristocats. Name me a story in which cats are good people. Tarzan. Nope. Nope. No good parents. Um. No, cats are not good people. I stand by that. <laughs> cats are gross. Lucifer dies, and the mice get the key under the door. Cinderella opens the door, and right as the Duke is about to leave. She goes running down the stairs. She's like, no, try my feet. Oh my gosh. And I love this because they're, the Duke is just like, what, what new person? Hello. And, and he's like, hello, I hi. made a decree. Like I was supposed to check every single person. Thanks for hiding this one. Everyone in the house starts shouting all at once. But so I was trying to pick out like some words that people were saying because like the stepsisters and the stepmother were saying different things. But one of the things that one of them said, was just like, oh, it's just Cinderella. She's the scholar. I thought back to Snow White because Snow White is a scullery maid. A scullery maid. Which, if you go back to episode one, what is a scullery maid? But apparently Cinderella is one too. They just yell it like, yeah, yeah, she's a scullery. So I guess she splashes water on the stairs and kisses birds. No, she clearly does more. (laughs) We've seen it. But anyway, Cinderella sits down and she's like, try my feet. And so they are like, they're kind running of, for it, just like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, they're kind of mad at the stepmother, stepmother for, like, hiding her. And they're like, we had a decree. And they're like, all right. So they turn towards her. And the little assistant goes running towards her. And the stepmother trips him. And he shatters the glass slipper. So the Duke is just like, oh, gosh, the king is going to kill and me. And he's, like, and sobbing. He's like, he's, like, picking up, like, crump, like, in his hands, pieces of the glass. Like, somehow he not bleeding. Somehow not cutting himself. Like, I've I've broken tiny pieces of glass, and, like, there's just and so many like cuts. And he's, like, devastated. The evil stepmother's like, <laughs> and the stepsisters are the same. And then she goes, oh, does it help that I have the other one? And she pulls it out, and everybody's just shocked. The Duke takes it, puts it on her foot, and we cut to the royal wedding. As she is walking down the steps, she loses yet another slipper. Different from the glass slipper, she loses <laughs> yet another slipper, which the king, the king picks up. puts on back on her foot. And she like bends down and kisses him on the top of his bald head, and he just like turns beet red. Then they go downstairs, they get into the carriage, which we don't know if that's actually a magical carriage. It's probably a real carriage. But they start riding away, and she's, like, waving at all of her friends, all of the uh, the animals that have helped her in this whole process. And you see the back, you see a, a look into the back, and you see them kiss, and then they just kind of ride off. And then you see the book, the live-action book, and it says, and they lived happily ever after. The end. And that's it. And that is the end of Cinderella. I did like that they at least talked for one night before getting married. Yes. I mean, truthfully, we don't know the timeline between trying on the shoe and getting married. So I'd like to think there was a little bit of time. I mean, by a little bit of time, the actual story, the way it takes place between when, you know, not, not actually counting the introduction where they show her and her father, the actual story takes place over about the course of 24 hours. Okay. 
Yeah, because she's... It's the evening of when she's, like, you know, when they introduce her, that they're just like, we're having a ball tonight. And then the next morning they find her. I mean, but you don't know if the time between trying on the shoe to putting on the wedding is 24 hours. I suppose. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Is that we know that she only meets him in one night because he says, like, the ball's happening tonight. So we know that. And they talk for one evening. But maybe it was like a month before they got married. Okay. Well, I would imagine by the king's insistence that it would be right away. That's true. But at least they had a night of talking. At least that. That's yes. better than some princesses. <laughs> I guess. Oh, we'll we'll get you, Aurora. Oh, we'll get you. Aurora. Come on, girl. <laughs> so what did you think of this on seeing this so many years okay, later? So it was... It has been a very long time since I've seen this movie, and I do not recall all of the animals. Like, 75% of this movie is animals. Yeah. It was one thing that I had noticed is that the the moments where the, the, the cat was chasing the mice takes up maybe about two-thirds of the movie. <laughs> like, the actual humans interacting did not take up a lot of time compared to what was spent in, like, the Tom and Jerry sort of universe of... This is animals chasing other animals and trying to outsmart the other animals. And when I was younger, I thought that the singing and, and dancing and loving stuff was, was overlong. But now I think that it, there's not enough of it. I very much enjoyed this movie. I would invite people to watch it. I think that, like, yes, the love story was fast, but it was romantic, it gives enough clues to the fact that it's not like a blind love, that there is like a genuine heartfelt sort of attraction. They talked. The two of them. They talked to each other. Yeah. It wasn't dialogued. It wasn't something we saw, mm-hmm. but they spent an evening at least talking. Yeah. And they danced with each other. That's always a very nice thing. And they, they know they have a certain kind of chemistry. I, I enjoyed it. Me too. Hey, Joseph. Yeah. What, uh... Feel like there's gotta be more. Um, are are they interesting facts? Are they spontaneous facts? I would call them fun facts. <gasps> <gasps> more fun facts. More fun facts. So this story has a lot of fun facts to it. <laughs> so much that I did a little extra research on it. Oh, he did a lot of it. There's like 17 pages. Do you see this? Oh my god, there's so many pages here. I'll You're flipping blank up. pages. Shut up. One of them is a drawing of a jukebox wearing a sweater. Why do you have so many jukeboxes wearing sweaters? I get bored. So, the actress who played Cinderella, her name is Eileen Woods. When there was a casting call that went out for Cinderella, they were they probably Disney probably looked at about 309 actresses. It was a very long process. The one who ended up getting the role, her name is Eileen Woods. And she was uh, a big band singer, and she had a, she her roommates were also singers who were auditioning for the role. She did not know about this whatsoever about this project, but her friends are saying like, "Hey, learn these songs. Let's record a demo." And she's like, "Okay." And so she did. They sent her demo in without her knowing about it, and uh, the people at Disney loved her so much that they they called her in and cast her on the spot. But she didn't even know that she beat out all these other people, including Marilyn Monroe, apparently. Oh. Yeah. Here's another fact. Hit me. This movie was made uh, simultaneously with Alice in Wonderland. Ooh. So Disney, uh, after the war had finished, because this was in 1950, they did not have a divided production sort of crew. So with all of their resources back in play, 
uh, Disney could not decide whether this would be the next release or Alice in Wonderland would be the next release. So he ended up splitting the animation crew and saying, half of you are going to work on Cinderella, half of you are going to work on Alice in Wonderland, and whichever one is completed first is going to be the next release. So does that mean Alice in Wonderland's our next one? Yes. Yes, it is. It's the next one that we're going to watch. Alice in Wonderland is? Yes. Oh, yes. I'm so excited. It came out the following year, 1951. Fantastic. Also, this movie was the first movie that uh, of Disney's that utilized songwriters from Tin Pan Alley. Do you know what that is? South Central. Nope. Tin Pan Alley was a collection of songwriters from New York that uh, created... A lot of the songs that you that 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 are known and and loved throughout, like sort of the American tradition, uh, Irving Berlin, for example, was one of the Tin Pan Alley writers. Oh, cool! So, a lot of the writers who worked on this were some of the ones that wrote things like the Christmas songs that we know and love. Oh, I think the writers of the song Silver Bells worked on this movie. Cool. Are you ready for this next fact? I am ready. Hit me with your facts. This fact is a multi-fact. Ooh! It's, this is more of a history lesson. Oh, okay. Cinderella, as we know it, has a version in almost every single nation, in every single like version of folklore. There was a folklore historian who tried to put together like every single version of it back in the 1800s. They came up with 345. So let's go back in time. This version that we saw was based on a, uh, a 1697 version by a French author named Charles, Charles Perrault. And this was the first version of the story that was ever told that had a fairy godmother. So a lot of old stories did not have fairy godmothers. They would either have a fairy granting wishes or the ghost of a dead relative granting wishes. So this is the first time they put them together and made a fairy godmother. Charles Perrault wrote his version based on a 1634 version that was Italian from a collection called Pantamarone. I like how you said that with like an accent. Pantamarone. Good job. Going back further, there was a version from 1136, and this was based on the actual history of Britain. It was from the book called Historia Regum Britannae. And so there was this woman named Cordelia. She was disinherited by her father in favor of her stepsisters, Goneril and Regan. Goneril? Goneril and Regan. She had two sisters. Later on, she married a king and rose to power and actually became a ruler of Britain. And most people know this as the source material for Shakespeare's King Lear. Hmm. There is a version from the year 836 oh, Lord. from China. It was a character named... Yishan, and she was, uh, just like Cinderella, she was kind. She had a cruel stepsister, just one of them. Uh, her mother came back to her as a ghost to help her along and said, I will help you by guiding you to a fish that will grant you wishes. <laughs> I've heard that one before. So the fish would grant her wishes and gave her... I'm not her, even sarcastic. I've heard this one before. Yeah. The fish gave her a dress and gold slippers. And there are very similar uh, versions in a lot of the uh, southeastern Asian uh, countries like Indonesia and Korea and Malaysia. A lot of people think that the original was from an author named Strabo from ancient Egypt from 64 BC. 
and he wrote about a woman called Rodopis, which translates to rosy eyes. Rodopis was a Greek courtesan. She lost her sandal. It was picked up by an eagle and dropped in the lap of the pharaoh who was living in Memphis, the pharaoh of Egypt. And he decreed, I need to find who owns this. And he married Rodopis and made her into his queen. But the earliest, earliest, earliest version goes, comes from not the myth of Rodopis, but the actual Rodopis who was first recounted by Herodotus, who is from 484 BC. <laughs> and really, she just had a story where she went from being a slave to being wealthy. So this goes back to around 500 BC, this whole story. There's been different versions that have like gone through the ages. Well, I mean, I heard one that was like from zero BC, like when the world erupted. Zero BC is the same as zero AD. It you was know that, right? two bacterias that crawled out of the ocean at the same time. And they were together. One of them was named Cinderella. Did you read this online? I made it up right now. Good enough. I'm sorry. I'll go wait in the other room. The thing is, is with all of these, with all 345 of these, there is mostly a, a version that plays on the pun of a girl who has ashes on her face. So Cinderella, she's got cinders. Then there is the French one that this movie was based on called Cendrillon, which means little ashes. There is uh, the German version that the Brothers Grimm wrote called Aschenputel, which means ash girl. So a lot of times, like, they change the name, but they stick with the pun. Well, I mean, who doesn't love a good pun? So that's going to do it for our podcast. Can I, can, I give, can I throw in one last little fun fact? That's yes, kind of funny. Yes, of course. Okay, so there was an alternate ending to this movie. Because you know how it ends with just, like, they find her, yay, they're married. Yeah. There was an alternate ending where the Duke brings her to the castle. She is faced with the prince, and the prince is just like, Ah, she's not who I thought she was. She's poor and she's a servant girl. But I love her. What do I do? Ah, okay. Yeah, I'll marry her. Walt Disney himself said, yeah, we're not going to put that in. That really <laughs> kind, of, kind of puts a damper on the whole ending. But that scene was included in uh, video game Kingdom Hearts <laughs> Birth by Sleep, which was the PSP version of the game. You actually see Cinderella and her prince and him just kind of coming to terms with the fact that she doesn't have any money. All right. And on that note? That's going to do it for us. Anyway, um, thank you for joining us for Cinderella. We we will see you soon for uh, Alice in Wonderland. On that note. And on that note. Cheers. Cheers.